Expand and impact. Internal transformation for external impact. Achieve your goals without sacrificing yourself. I'm Violetta Znarkowski, but you can call me Violet. Welcome back to the Expand and Impact podcast, a place where we discuss how you can create a successful life that is an authentic expression of you, and where we also explore the intersection between personal development and gender equity. Today, I'm inviting you to listen in on a candid conversation that I had with Kristen Alice, a licensed therapist who specializes in disordered eating and negative body image, a topic that I think most women can relate to. After years of disordered eating and hating her body, Kristen built a more trusting and respectful relationship with her body through outdoor activity. Since her early 20s, Kristen has spent years guiding outdoor adventure trips, which led her to receiving her master's degree in clinical mental health counseling with an emphasis in wilderness therapy. Since receiving her master's degree, Kristen has founded her own company, Wilder Wellness. She works with women of all sizes to help them build confidence in their bodies on and off the trail. In this work, Kristen has created and facilitated size-inclusive outdoor adventure retreats, designed online group programs and courses, and works with clients individually in her clinical practice. In her free time, she enjoys exploring new places, cooking, and finding new ways to bring her creativity to life. I've actually met Kristen in real life over 10 years ago at an outdoor company we both worked at one summer. When meeting her all of those years ago, she left a mark on me when she shared so candidly and vulnerably about how she's been treated throughout her life because of her body. She didn't know it until this conversation, but I've actually been following her journey on social media all of these years, and when I finally worked up the courage to start this podcast, I knew I would invite her on to be a guest. Kristen is the definition of authentic and healed leadership, a strong and beautiful woman who is just doing her best every day and having a tremendous impact on the self-esteem and confidence of women who struggle with how their bodies fit into the larger expectations of what sexy is and what is worthy in our culture today. Did you know that 7 in 10 girls believe they are not good enough or do not measure up in some way, including their looks, performance in school, and relationships with their family and friends? Did you also know that 74% of girls say they are under pressure to please everyone, and that 98% of girls feel there is an immense pressure from external sources to look a certain way. 98% is only 2% away from being 100. So if you're listening to this and you're a female or you identify as a female, then you are absolutely not alone. Also, sadly, 92% of teen girls would like to change something about the way they look with body weight ranking the highest. I know this was my experience as a teen girl too. 90% of eating disorders are also found in girls. And one in four girls today fall into a clinical diagnosis of either depression, 
eating disorders, cutting, and other mental emotional disorders. On top of these, many more report being constantly anxious, sleep deprived, and under significant pressure. Oh, don't you worry, I have more statistics for you. With 53% of American girls aged 13 being unhappy with their bodies, and this percentile grows to 78% by the time these girls reach the age of 17. As disheartening as these statistics are, what's even more shocking but not surprising is the impact these experiences have on adult women and their ability to view themselves as leaders, as capable, and as worthy. So on the flip side of all of these unfortunate statistics, only 3% of Fortune 500 CEOs, for example, are women, and even less of that 3%, they're women of color. And only 34 women, not 34%, like 34 whole women, have ever served as governors compared to 2,319 men. I can continue to read off these statistics, but I'll actually link the source in the show notes for you to explore on your own if you want to uncover more of the statistics. And right now, I'd rather focus on how important it is for women to reclaim their voices and fully step into their inherent confidence worthiness, and deservingness so that we can change these statistics. I always say, and my students from over the years of me leading expeditions and working in the outdoor industry can attest to this, change on a macro and systemic scale stems from the changes that occur on a micro internal scale. I wonder how these statistics would change if young girls were encouraged to have a positive and loving relationship with their bodies and themselves. I wonder how interacting with each other and the world around us would change if young girls were shown more respect for their intelligence and ambition instead of hyper-focusing on their looks and their bodies. Kristen and I only scratched the surface with our conversation of this massive topic, so if you like what you hear, be sure to let us know on Instagram and tag us in your stories after you listen to this episode because maybe we'll be back to continue and expand on this conversation. Also, this has got to be the longest introduction ever, so I think now is a good time to get straight into it, shall we? What informs your identity? This question just like hit me hit me so hard like as soon as you asked I'm like wow that's such a powerful way to ask who someone is and like how they show up in the world (laughs) I love it um so I let's see different parts of my identity I would say right now what feels really um what takes up a lot is that I work as a therapist I am a therapist and I work with disordered eating negative body image and overall like self-worth and so I think I spend about 25 hours of my week connecting with humans who are living in bodies and trying to figure it out um other than that I am recently married so I am a wife uh a friend a family member and then someone who loves to be outside I find like the most joy, um, hiking and skiing and, and all of that. Um, but I think 
you know, it's like a place where I go to feel alive and feel centered. And like, it's really just become a a huge part of my self-care and who I am and my identity. But um, yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And before I say anything else, I want to say congratulations. I did see um, months back that you were posting about your wedding and was it your like to the wedding or pre-wedding you guys did like a rafting trip or like a photo shoot or something I think it was incorporated in the wedding right (laughs) um well let's see we my bachelor (laughs) (laughs) my bachelor party we went deep sea fishing um so sort of like rafting my husband is like a huge rafter it's what he does and for fun and I obviously get to join in on the fun too um and so we raft quite often we live in Bend Oregon so there's a ton of rivers all over the place and I photography has always been something that I love and so usually I'll find a a way to like have somebody dress up in costume and take pictures (laughs) so if it wasn't our wedding it definitely was like probably something that had to do with our wedding we were all in costumes yeah that's awesome. What a fun and playful way to just liven up the experience. I think weddings can be so serious sometimes with all of the logistical planning and just to be able to bring some some of the elements, like you said, that um, you do identify with, like nature, outdoors, moving your body into it. That's really awesome. So you specialize, Kristen, in disordered eating and negative body image as a profession. Before we dive into like the nitty gritty of what we'll be talking about today, I'm curious if you're open to sharing a little bit more about yourself and your story and anything that feels important right now in this moment to, I guess, like share with our audience that can be helpful for anyone with a body trying to figure it out as they move along throughout life. So basically, like my name, my name is Kristen. I am a therapist and I am the owner of Wilder Wellness and Wilder is a place where I run my therapy practice um, where we talk mostly about disordered eating and body image. And then I also run online programs and then run outdoor adventure retreats that are size inclusive and all about um, healing the relationship we have with our body and really using our time outside as a way that we can build confidence and value in our bodies that have nothing to do with the way that we look. And so that's a little bit about who I am now and how I show up in the world. And I would say that like a lot of my life experiences have obviously led me to this place. I grew up in Santa Cruz, California. So for anyone that knows that place, it's right on the ocean. Um, It's where the ocean and the redwoods meet. And so it's got both mountains and beaches and the whole place is just like sort of like this, or it used to be when I grew up, um, place where you got to like run around without shoes. It was like very safe. Like you could climb trees, like giant redwoods. I spent a lot of my time just exploring outside and loved it. And then as I grew up and got older, I was somebody, my body was like, probably I was the first person in my class to mature, I would say. So I'm, I, a fun fact about me is I'm 5'11". So as like, let's say a fourth grader, I was definitely like a head taller than all of the boys in the class and um, also like developed like breasts early on and my body was just bigger. And this was something that was really difficult to navigate as a kid. 
And I remember like watching other people in my grade, like, you know, eat whatever they wanted and like their bodies would continue to like stay this tiny, tiny size. And I would watch my body like respond to eating different types of food. And I would be watching my body get bigger. And even though I wasn't told explicitly that that was wrong by like my family, I knew from like different messages around and, you know, even what doctors would say like that there was something wrong with my body. And so from a very early age, my relationship with food became totally skewed where, you know, I would, I would sneak these like more indulgent foods, like let's say like ice cream or cookies. I like would eat them in secret because I knew that I wasn't really supposed to be eating them because like my body wasn't supposed to be this size. And so very quickly developed like binge eating as a very, as a very young person. And that is something I see with a lot of clients that I work with. And for a lot of people that have binge eating, my body um, got bigger. I gained weight. And I would say that I lived in a pretty large body as a young child throughout the early ages of high school. Living in a larger body was really difficult, as you can imagine, like getting made fun of daily being publicly shamed, being called names, you know, on top of like the daily internal struggle of thinking that there was something wrong with me, you know, being told by other people that there was something wrong with me was something that occurred all of the time. And yeah, I think it was just like a, a time then in my life that like seemed really pivotal, you know, and a huge part of my story that feels important. You know, I would say that my relationship with food like continued to be really secretive and binge like until you know there was a time in high school where the public shaming became so bad that it would happen in these like huge school arenas and so I remember going out there I was in the homecoming skit one day and I went out to you know say my one line in the homecoming skit and like some football player like way off in the back like yelled out fatty and I was like mortified you know because I think on the day-to-day bullying and like the day-to-day like judgment of my body, I was able to distract myself from the pain. I was able to really drown that out and, and like even sort of like numb it by eating food. And when this huge thing happened publicly, it felt like there was like nowhere to run that like I was now exposed to everybody and I couldn't deny that it happened. It was something that all the kids at school knew about, all my teachers knew about it the school called my parents. And so like my shame became everyone else's shame. And all of a sudden I could not run from the fact that my body felt not only wrong, but that I also like my relationship with food had become pretty out of control and felt out of control at that time. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. And um, before we hit record on this episode, Um, I mentioned that we had briefly met through a company that we worked for like over 10 years ago and have just stayed connected through social media up until reconnecting right now. And that last piece of your story is what you shared with us over 10 years ago. And I remember thinking, now isn't that everyone's worst nightmare to be doing something for yourself that requires a lot of courage especially as a young person to get on stage and even say a line especially as an introvert which you mentioned to me you are earlier in our chat 
And that's such, at least in my opinion, like such a life-defining moment that can either make you or break you and for the rest of your life, not to sound dramatic, but it's definitely that moment that you can very closely identify that maybe you're not worthy of taking up space since even someone in your class is willing to shame you so publicly in front of everyone for something that you haven't done. You know, it's like just simply for existing. And I'm wondering how that impacted your journey from that point forward, because you mentioned your food, I guess, consumption got a bit out of control and whether it's disordered eating or disordered thinking about our bodies. I think this is something most women can relate to is that constant comparison and that constant like judgment and being looked at, being treated and looked at as something that we're allowed to critique. You know, it's like you would never really look at a man <laughs> so frequently as women are observed and start critiquing their bodies. And yet it's something that we have to live with. So whether disordered eating or disordered thinking about how we look and where our place is, I'm wondering how that impacted your story moving forward. All good. You know, I definitely, it was this like life-changing moment for me um, where all of a sudden I had to really confront what was going on for me and my relationship with food. And I have more to say about like how all of this like sort of plays out, but, but basically like I really had to confront like, okay, like I, my relationship with food is secretive. It does not feel healthy. I am not feeling confident in the way that I'm showing up, you know, like not only was I being publicly shamed, but I also like, I wasn't owning it. I wasn't like walking around in this body and like loving myself. I would like hide in the middle, like in, in the back corner of the dressing rooms and in gym class, like, you know, like I tried everything I could do to hide. Um, and so after this had happened, you know, I was 15 and you know, such a baby, but basically it was like, I'm going to go on this diet. And my parents supported me in going on a diet and, uh, you know, had lost weight in this way that how does anyone lose weight? You know, they, you cut back on your calories and, you know, whatever you're doing with your diet to lose weight. And so had gone on this diet and I'd lost a significant amount of weight, um, to a place that my body was like, quote unquote, healthy, and it was really stark to see the differences in way, the way people treated me. It was almost night and day, right? Of like, wow, these people that never either knew I existed or treated me like garbage are now treating me with respect. Like not only boys, but girls are finally like talking to me and being nice to me. Like the difference in how wow. I was treated as a human being was vastly different. And so in the work that I do today and how I work with people of all sizes is really acknowledging that fat phobia is something that exists. It's very prevalent and it's something that's everywhere in our society and, you know, in most of us. I would say that, like, even as a therapist, I have to check check my own fat phobic beliefs at times, you know, or really check, like, certain fears or, like, stigmas and obviously like this is the work that I do. It doesn't show up all the time. And there will be times where like that gets triggered. And so 
you know, going back to my story, it's like after receiving all of this positive reinforcement for losing weight, I just wanted to keep going. You know, it was like, oh my gosh, like this feels so good, you know, and like any teenage girl, maybe not any teenage girl, but for me, teenage girl, I, all I wanted to do was like have a crush and have somebody like me. And so I was so driven just by feel normal validation. Yeah. Like I just like yeah. wanted to be, a, I wanted to be a kid. I wanted to like, have a first kiss. I wanted to like go to a school dance and like put on a cute dress. I wanted all of these things. And basically was fueled by external validation and like having people comment on my body in a way that was really positive from going from only having people comment on my body in a way that was negative. And really the only thing that ever anyone ever really acknowledged me for was my large size. I was only used to people commenting on my body at all. And so when people started commenting like, wow, you look so skinny. Oh my God. How are you losing all that weight? wow, you could be a model now. Oh my gosh. Like, how are you doing it? It felt so good, you know? And so for anyone that's yeah. been through a weight loss journey, it's almost like the external validation, like you could feel totally okay in your body, but the external validation part is the thing that feels good. The almost reassurance of like, like our place in society by like being in a smaller size or looking a certain way feels addictive and feels like it fuels everything. And it's really hard to step away from that when you're in that place and when you're you've just gone from like only getting negative feedback to just a ton of positive feedback it's really hard to to check yourself in that and so i ended up restricting a lot you know until my eating disorder like swung the other direction and ended up getting diagnosed with anorexia which is also like another very serious eating disorder and so my process in my journey with food has been a roller coaster, that's for sure. Yeah. There's a couple things that you mentioned in there that I want to highlight, but I'll start with this. I can't 100% relate to everything that you're sharing because my experiences are my own and your experiences are your own. But I did grow up in a very judgmental and image-focused culture and household. My heritage is from Poland, so I'm like first-generation immigrant in America, like first born in my family with my brother. And the weight of that external validation about how you look and how you're perceived is heavy. And my story looks different than yours but that heaviness that I felt growing up as well and still continue to feel at times. And I think maybe you'll agree that it's a journey. And even if you have overcome a lot of challenges, there are those moments where there's like that little voice inside of your head that like notices or like wants to pull you back. And it's never the journey of like, you're ever going to be perfectly healed. You're ever going to be perfectly this, like, at least from my experience, it doesn't exist. It's learning how to hold that contrast, learning how to be present now with who you are without falling into the storylines and those expectations of everything that we hear and observe around us. And for anyone, I suppose, which is most people who like that validation, like, yeah, damn straight, it feels good. You know, like it feels good to be validated. Like who wouldn't like it? But it gets dangerous when that starts to be our motivation, right? And then especially in your case of it impacting your health, both your physical health and your mental health so much, 
then that becomes almost like the focal point of your life where you're unable to see past it and unable to live past it because this part of you isn't in control yet. So you don't have the, I guess, like bandwidth to do anything else. Yeah, I totally agree. And I would love to talk about like how I, that resonates with a lot of the work that I do with my clients. But I think, you know, like as young women, you know, and especially in my case, in the case of lots of people with eating disorders, it's like when so much emphasis has been placed on your body. Like I had no idea who I was outside of my pant size. I like had no other way to equate like worth, you know, Mm -hmm. like it really, like I, I had no idea of like, what am I even interested in? What drives me? What are my values? I don't know. What size am I? That's all that matters. That's like the only thing that's going to like help me find acceptance and happiness in this life. So it felt really hard. Like, I think that's like the hard part of recovery is like not getting on like a stable meal plan. Like, yes, like that's hard. But then like the hard part is like really figuring out like, who are you after you realize that like your entire worth isn't based on your size and like, who do you want to be other than just like a pant size? Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. And it kind of ties back to those hidden biases that you mentioned as well. It's like, so you start to do the work of uncovering the different aspects of who you actually are, what you're interested in, and how life can feel fun and lively again, outside of how you look and what size you are. And yet, like you mentioned, you still have to check yourself about your own biases when it comes to this specific thing and other things in life and other beliefs that are just so deeply ingrained in us, so deeply conditioned. And I noticed this within myself too, like you can be teaching something, but I always have to be constantly checking in with myself because those biases that I think I've uh, like uncovered still live within me because the conditioning is just so deep, just so many years of hearing something or seeing something. And how do you navigate that in order to help your clients, but also to continue staying connected to yourself? And staying connected to now the person that you've uncovered you are and your values and how did your motivations change? Sure. So when I graduated from high school, I would say like that is when my focus became not just on my body size. I definitely like went into college with a ton of disordered eating patterns. Um, But I think there was something about leaving this like group of people that publicly shamed me so much and like really only focused on my body and going to this new place that all of a sudden I had a opportunity of like, great, I get to show up however I want. I get to be Kristen without this huge story of like having all these different body sizes and being known as the girl with the eating disorder. It just felt so good to go somewhere new without having any of these narratives about who I was. And really there like started to explore, still having no idea who I was, still being very focused on like my weight and my appearance and like my social status, but like starting to pay attention and found my way into doing art. That was my undergrad um, focus at school. And what was it? By... I, had, I had no idea. Yeah. Yeah. My, awesome. um, my dad was a graphic designer. So I started there and then started 
taking I studied abroad in Italy and started taking so I. photos. I took a huh, no way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I started I took a <clears throat> film class and fell in love with film photography. And I uh was late on an assignment one day and the assignment was to like take a landscape and I did not work and so I was like what if I just took the landscape of the body and so had like a lot of wine with one of my roommates and like ended up doing a new photo shoot with my roommate <laughs> and they were like the best pictures like I have ever taken and so when I came back from Italy I was just like had this fire to take nude portraiture of women it was just like all I wanted to do was take naked photos of girls <laughs> and and so what I like really set out to do because I was starting to really like confront like oh my relationship with my body it's like a little messed up so I started taking pictures of women in all size bodies and found a lot of healing in making art about women's bodies like I definitely was not going to get on the other side of the the camera lens but like taking pictures and telling stories through other people's bodies just felt really healing. And I was exposed to lots of different types of bodies and they were all gorgeous. All of the photos, I found something beautiful and other people found, you know, something beautiful in all these photos that were taken. And so that's where I first started doing body image work. And it was totally by accident. It was just like one drunken night in Italy that like totally changed my life. (laughs) But um yeah so I started my doing work and like it all every time I would have a photo shoot with these women we are we talked about our bodies we talked about our relationships with our bodies we talked about how they have been looked at and how they've been objectified and what that's been like and so that's where I really started to get really comfortable talking to women about their bodies and what it's like to be in their body so I feel like that's a yeah a large part of my story yeah do you think um, I, I just I just like remembered something like a pivotal moment for me in how my relationship to my body started to change? And I'll share that in just a moment. But I'm wondering if you think that this is um, like a byproduct of the American culture or if it's something that you notice is prevalent with women from different countries that maybe you've worked with or have relations with. I think that diet culture is like worldwide for sure. Mm-hmm. I think that there's something about there's, it's like almost like a different energy and I'll mm-hmm. speak to being in Italy. Um, Cause like my, women, my story happened and I think in Italy or Spain. And that's why I asked. Cause I'm like, actually like I would never have done that in America <laughs> with what I'll share. Yeah. My, you know, I think women, in Italy, my experience, we were objectified all the time. Like objectification happened more so than it does Mm -hmm. at least like outwardly in Italy. Like you're walking down the street, like people are whistling at you, like you are (laughs) buying an apple and like the guy is like having sex with you with his eyes. Like, you know, like (laughs) it's like very sexual in Italy. And so like, I'm going to say that like, there's a lot of objectification. And like, I think that the difference between being in Italy versus like, being in the US was that like, while there was objectification, it was like, 
a lot of celebration, right? It's like, <laughs> oh my gosh, you're a woman. You're amazing. It's so beautiful. Look at your curves. Wow. You know, like it was just like celebration. It was life. And like food was, food was a celebration. Everything just felt uh, more celebratory where like in the U.S. it's like, uh, yes, we get objectified and it's more, at least when I was in my like early twenties and my teenager years, it was like, how small can you be? How, um, how can you fit a certain mold? And it's like, how can you hate yourself into being that mold rather than like celebrating our bodies? It's like celebration versus like hating yourself into changing, if that makes sense. Yeah, it completely makes sense because, um, I think one of the things that contributes to that, I guess, like contrast in approaches and perspective is how we treat nudity and how we like how we see it in the media, but especially just um, how taboo nudity is in America and in a lot of different countries, whereas in Europe, in Europe, it's something that's just normal. And the story that comes to mind for me when my relationship with my body started to change, I it wasn't Italy, actually, I remember now it was in Spain. And I was like by myself um, on this beach and I saw all of these women around me tanning topless. And I was terrified to do it. But a part of me was like, I kind of want to try it. It seems so liberating because I started looking at all of the women around me who are topless and everyone looked beautiful. Everyone looked different and everyone looked beautiful. And it was the first time that I remember seeing bodies differently and really noticing mm. the beauty in every type of body away from my own conditioning, away from the way my mom says beauty is supposed to be or the way the people I grew up with looked and things like that. And I remember like getting the courage and taking off my top and no one cared. <laughs> like literally like no one even looked at me, like no one noticed. It was so normal. And I was like, just like knees deep in my own experience, just feeling like this, <laughs> like thrill and terror at the same time and like what what's going to happen are people going to think of me differently like are people going to stare at me are they going to laugh at me because of how I look like without a bra on and it just felt so freeing and liberating to be in my body in that moment I think for the first time in my entire life and I think I was like 23 at that point like um yeah like early 20s and I never noticed truly until it was that moment my disordered thinking about my own body and just that freedom that I felt being on that beach looking at everyone around me who didn't care you know like maybe they cared inside but they felt confident enough to show themselves because culturally it's acceptable to be topless at the beach and go swimming you know like in the crystal clear waters of Greece or wherever you are it's not so taboo like it is in America or Australia and New Zealand and obviously throughout different countries like in the Middle East where women have a completely different social status than even we experience in America and in the Western world and yeah, I wanted to share that because it seemed like such an insignificant moment that actually really shifted my awareness around how a body can feel despite how yeah. it looks. I love it. It sounds like you were like really aware of your body, but also having this experience that proved 
you wrong or like you're it's proved your inner critic wrong right of like okay I'm gonna do this thing and it feels really scary and it's probably gonna feel really bad and like oh oops it actually feels amazing yeah right <laughs> like, like it I feels can't... amazing <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm wondering if you had any experiences like that because the only reason why I brought it up was um talking about the nude photography and how it must have felt for those women being on the other side of that lens. And even for you as a photographer, you mentioned that maybe you wouldn't find yourself on the other side of that lens, but your experience in just observing and noticing what's happening on the other side of that lens and how it potentially transformed your own relationship. To be honest, I haven't actually ever done nude photography I haven't even let's let's say like I haven't even like practiced nudity a little bit (laughs) I think that's like where like my journey with my body is like still like very much in process where I might not be the kind of person that's going to like get naked and like dance with a whole bunch of like other people or even like other ladies like I have this like there's a fear there that like I haven't been able to undo. And I think that's actually a pretty cool thing to say, like very much yeah. you you kind of talked about earlier, right? That like, we're all in process. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with the fact that like, maybe nudity is not for me. I, everyone that like all of my close friends have this joke that like Kristen's a never nude. Like I go to bed in like ski clothes. <laughs> <laughs> Turtleneck. <laughs> Yeah, literally <laughs> my husband looks like yeah she sleeps in a turtleneck and it's true I just like I feel really comfortable in clothing <laughs> and I rock them and it's so funny and I I haven't talked about my relationship with the outdoors but like when I think about feeling really sexy now it's like I feel the most in my body and I feel the most attractive and I feel the most confident and connected with who I am all of the things I feel all of the things the most when I'm like on a pair of skis in my ski outfit I just like feel the most free and it's not even like outside of my body I feel connected to my body it's like the only place where I'm like actively flirtatious I like literally think I'm hot shit when I'm skiing and it's so funny to see that (laughs) but I think like that's that's been a really interesting part of my story is that like, you know, I'm not one of those like body positive influencers. That's like talking about like her relationship with food and her body. And now she runs around in a bikini, like actually like, that's not who I am at all. And a part of like my story and like what I'm working towards is, is like, if you run around a bikini, I love you slay. And like, you don't actually have to do that if it doesn't feel comfortable for you and you can still build this like really awesome relationship with your body it just like doesn't look performative the way that like it might it might show up on Instagram or social media or wherever yeah I want to go back and acknowledge what you said because I think it takes tremendous courage to go against the grain in that way you mentioned that it's okay to not be performative in your body acceptance, to not have to force yourself to get to a level of comfort where you want to be naked because nudity doesn't equal acceptance depending 
you know, like it can, it can equal acceptance, but it doesn't have to. And I think that's such an important perspective to highlight because it's so easy to fall into the trap that any type of recovery, any type of healing is supposed to look one certain type of way. And I love that you have resourced yourself enough on your journey to be able to acknowledge that that's not for you right now. And maybe one day that will change, but it doesn't make you any less or any more of, you know, a strong and capable human who has worthiness and purpose in this life. Yeah. Thanks for saying that. It's funny. There's, there's lots of layers of finding with our bodies. And a huge part of them is like practicing body grief. And it's sort of like letting go of the fantasy that you have created in your head, you know, of this, like, okay, well, when I get to this size or this weight, like, this is what my life is going to look like. And for a really long time, a lot of what my fantasy was, was that, okay, like I'm going to get down to the certain weight and the certain size. And then I'm going to be the girl that runs around with like pasties and I'm going to like be always in a bikini and it's going to feel so great. And that's when I know that my life will be amazing is when I feel comfortable enough to like run around with no clothes on. And so when I've really done this work, I've had to really let that fantasy die (laughs) because if I'm constantly comparing my life to this fantasy of like me in a bikini, like not giving any, you know, F's or whatever, like I am never going to be happy because even at my smallest, I wasn't okay running around in a bikini. So like, why am I like have this image of like, this is what it means to be comfortable in my body. This is what it means to be successful when really I just like need to let that fantasy go so I can start living presently in the moment now and start appreciating my body now and having the experiences that I want. Like I still go rafting. I wear bathing suits. Is it pasties? Is it like a tiny bikini? No. But like if I was comparing myself to like that version, I wouldn't be present in the moment. I wouldn't be having fun. And so it's been really important for me to just like be like, you know what? I might not be a bikini wearing girl and that's okay. And that's okay. <laughs> and like, it's actually, yeah. it's actually helped with like my body acceptance journey and it's helped me love my body the way it is now versus always comparing it to something that it could be even, you know, like, yeah. And for me, that was like bikini girl, like at the front of a raft. And I just like had to let go of that vision. Yeah. And those messages are everywhere. If you want to focus on them, you can find them everywhere. And if you want to focus on the opposite, you can also find it everywhere. And I think that's the interesting, interesting like paradox of life and especially social media. It's like we get to choose what we put in front of us and are the messages you're choosing actually supporting you and empowering you or are they making you feel shitty about yourself? And something that you mentioned that I really appreciate is how you feel in your body versus how it looks like. And like from a biological standpoint, if we're always looking to strive towards looking a certain type of way over how we are feeling, we're never going to win because we are designed to change and our metabolism changes the older we get. And if we decide to bear children, our body's going to change again. And the one constant in life is change. And 
changing the relationship we have to the things that don't stay the same is at least from my experience, where we do reclaim our power, where we do reclaim our purpose and our confidence in ourselves. How does that land for you? Yeah. I mean, it resonates so hard. You know, I think, so where we met was at a, in a job where we're really leading like adventure tours outdoors for like kids and, you know, working with a lot of people our age and say that my relationship with my body at that time, I definitely was like not in the best place. Definitely still disordered and like trying to figure out who I was. Um, And for a long time, like the outdoors was this, this place that like eating felt really safe. Um, It was a way that I could sort of like control my food and my exercise routine. I was like, I can eat food as long as I'm like backpacking 10 miles a day, like cool food safe when I work out all the time. And, you know, I feel a lot better about working out all the time. If I say it's for my job, it was like a really great way to have disordered behaviors without people knowing. (laughs) Um, and really like my whole life became about being outdoors and like hiking every day and like, you know, moving all the time. And I was like one of those people at the very beginning stages of my recovery, I was like, food is fuel. And like, work out for your mental health. Like hiking is therapy, which is such bullshit. But like, that's what I was thinking until one day I like broke my ankle and like all of it went out the window, you know? And it's like, and then when you get hurt and you find that you have zero coping skills other than moving your body and controlling your food, you're really screwed. Right. And so it's like realizing that the only we don't actually have any control even controlling our food and our movement is we don't actually have control over that either our bodies are going to change and it's like how do we actually start to support our relationship to our body no matter you know food and movement aside it's like building a strong enough foundation that you're dedicated to taking care of yourself even if that means like you need to stay on the couch for three months and so I think in my own journey, like getting injured and realizing that like, wow, I actually don't have as much of a hold on my relationship with food in my body as I thought I did was really important because that's like where I really had to like look at my relationship with food and movement um, from a a really like honest place. Yeah, I, I resonate with what you're saying and I want to acknowledge you for the courage it takes to do that because honesty is such like a glamorized concept and so freaking hard to do especially turning that mirror back onto ourselves and I'm sure everyone listening can like pinpoint a moment in their lives where they needed to sit down and really take an honest look and maybe that moment is even now listening to this conversation that's sparking some thoughts about how they are choosing to look at things or do things and how actually it may not be serving them in certain ways. But it does take, at least from my experience, so much courage to be that brutally honest so that you can free yourself of those constraints that we really put on ourselves. It's like it may not start from ourselves, but then we take the burden and we hold the burden and we hold the shame all on our own shoulders. 
And that doesn't help anyone. Yeah, totally. You know, and I think for anyone listening, like whether or not they exist in the outdoors or, you know, like they are a part of different cultures where like diet culture is like there, but no one's talking about it. I feel like within the outdoor industry or, you know, even with like within guiding culture, right? Like there's a lot of disordered stuff happening and there's a lot of body comparison. There's a lot of things that people don't say, even if that's the facade, you know, where it's like free love, we're all having so much fun, but everyone wears a size two and like everyone only wears Patagonia. Everyone looks the you know, same. Everyone, like, lo- yeah. everyone looks exactly the same. Exactly the same. <laughs> like, what is this crazy place? Like not everyone can just like look like this, you know? And so I think it can be really refreshing for us. Like, dang, a lot of us are pushing our bodies or like, you know, adopting these really extreme lifestyles and calling it normal when oftentimes we do have to have one of those moments that changes our lives of like, oh, I got injured and I just realized I don't know how to take care of myself unless I'm pushing myself up a mountain. That's kind of fucked up, you know, part of my French, but like, (laughs) like, I don't know actually how to love myself unless I'm pushing myself to extremes. And like, and so it all goes back to like my teenage years of like living in the extremes of either binging and restricting. It's like, I didn't really learn how to exit the extremes of my relationship with food and movement until I physically had to because of an injury. And then I had to get like really honest with a lot of my fat phobia and a lot of like the stuff that needs to I really needed to look at to, to do the work that I do now, but yeah, there's a lot. (laughs) And I think like we can recognize like our patterns, even if they're lifelong, it feels really important. Yeah. And often the hardest places to start, right. Start looking at it, but I'm wondering if you'd be open to sharing how your, I guess, like perspective has changed in terms of what's possible for women when they are able to come to that place of wholeness and acceptance in how they are right now, even if it's not necessarily where they want to be, but really meeting that moment and what's possible for women, you know, in the Western world or around the world on a greater macro scale in terms of, you know, their leadership. Because we met in a leadership context and I'm sure we could both like I could go on, you know, like 10 years in the industry. I have stories on stories of what I've experienced as like a feminine female in this industry and how that's affected my own self-esteem and my confidence and how many years it took me to untangle myself from those expectations and to refine my voice and refine my confidence and authenticity, really. But I'm wondering about your perspective. That makes a lot of sense for me. um, When all of this happened, I think it was five years ago. I've been talking about body image in the outdoors for probably like seven or eight years and was doing, you know, a lot of work of, of interviewing women. And a lot of people talked about feeling powerful and strong. And I got a lot of um, a lot of what I picked up on was that by being in the outdoors, women learned that it was okay to feed themselves. And I think that that is a really beautiful message. And what I wanted to do to 
further is like, how can we know that it's okay to feed ourselves when we're not, again, like pushing ourselves up a mountain or like in extremes. And so what I believe now is coming from a place of body trust. So I took this certification program um, called body trust. And it's really about learning to listen to our bodies and trust them enough to actually take care of themselves from like a really grounded place where you're like, I'm actually listening to myself, not like all of the BS that we've like, I've grown up with, not all of like this, like BS about like keto or intermittent fasting or gluten-free or like whatever. I'm not like, I'm tuning out all the things that are around me because I know the diet industry. Like I've learned a lot about (laughs) diet culture and how much money goes into diet culture and marketing and messaging and like the history of dieting and the history of like the violence against women like all of this learning has happened basically so I can tune out all of those messages to start like actually listening to what my body needs and through that really being able to think about like okay what am I actually hungry for when I'm done restricting all of my food and then binging because I was restricting when I just eat normally like what feels good for my body oh, cool. Like, turns out I really like this. And like, when I'm hanging out with my friends, I love to like connect over beer and like French fries. If I ate beer and French fries every day, I would feel like garbage. But like, I need to like actually be able to listen to my body to know that my body also feels depleted and like garbage when I only eat kale and quinoa. And so I also need to trust that, you know, even if culture tells me that like quinoa and chicken and kale is the best, I also need to trust that like, I actually feel really lethargic if I eat that, you know? And so like really listening to ourselves and coming from like a place of trusting that. And that comes from like, okay, trusting, like, is today a good day for me to go push my body? Like, does a walk sound good? Does skiing sound good? Does like going to a group fitness class sound fun? And like really honoring whatever comes up. And so after years and years of dieting and pushing our bodies to extremes, I think for a lot of women, we are exhausted. And so what keeps women from really being able to trust their bodies is like when they stop pushing themselves so hard, they're so tired that they lose all motivation to take care of themselves at all. Right. And like, I think that happens for a lot of people who have dieted. That's why like go on a diet. And then when you get off your diet, you'd like eat everything that you want to lose weight again. You're like, I'm a failure when really like, we're just like not designed to diet forever. (laughs) And so I think people are afraid to listen to their bodies when really like, that's actually what we need to do. Like you need to trust your body enough to like, believe that it's going to choose the foods and the movement that it's going to help feel. It's going to help you feel the best. It's just like getting over that like first hump of fear that will get you to that place where you can start really trusting it. And like, that's even like trusting, like what feels good energetically, like running a business or working for someone, like what works the best for me? Like I, I have to work for myself. I just like have tried to work for other people a lot and it doesn't work (laughs) because I like, you know, I'm listening to myself enough that like if I'm listening to the shoulds and pushing myself, I'd be like working for this company and like on, but energetically that doesn't feel good for me and it's taken a lot of years for me to trust that too and so my hope for women is that like when we do enough unlearning of like all the messages that we've taken in 
that we can then begin to trust ourselves to to live a life that's like sustainable and authentic for us, you know, and fuel ourselves because we're humans, not because we need to earn it. Yeah. I feel like the same can be said about rest, which is I think deeply connected to not only recovery, but what we're talking about here is when you teach your body to feel safe, slowing down, that's when you get to open access to that wisdom and really know what your body is asking you to do, where those energetic boundaries are as well. I think um, we're so deeply taught that boundaries are a cognitive thing, like a cognitive observation. It's like, and yes, they can be. And they're also an energetic, physical experience as well, like a visceral experience. And that at least in my work and the work that I do with women, that's like the um, the gap that I notice in a lot of messages that I see online. It's like, how do you bridge that gap? So you mentioned that um, really coming home to yourself and learning to listen to your body. How can women start to do that? And like, what does that look like? You know, because like, it's a nice idea, but how do you start to even know what it feels like to be connected to that part of yourself because it can be like it could be really tricky you know it's like you don't know what you don't know and then you feel it you're like ah of course (laughs) but before that (laughs) yeah well I loved what you said about safety right and this is something I sort of talked about earlier is that we do live in a fat phobic world fat phobia exists like I think that we are taking strong (laughs) decrease it and like make our world a little bit of a better place but like it's there so for a lot of people trusting our bodies with the potential of our bodies changing or fluctuating can feel really unsafe for a lot of people um for a lot of people in certain relationships or because of their childhood experiences or because of you know their family systems it can feel really scary you know and so really like the first thing that you know, we need to do in any of this work is like really helping you get to a place where you do feel safe, knowing that like, okay, if your body was to change, would that feel safe for you? You know, what, what would, what in your life would need to, to look different? Who in your life would need to look different in order for that to change? And sometimes like we can build that up and into being something much bigger you know, we can think like, oh, our partners won't love us anymore. Like if we're dating, like, no, we're never going to find love or my parents are going to judge me or like going home for Christmas or Thanksgiving or whatever holidays, my relatives are going to think differently of me, you know? And so sometimes it's about creating those boundaries to, to protect ourselves. And maybe that looks like not going home for a couple of years for, for holidays, or just explicitly saying like to groups of friends who talk about their bodies, like, Hey friends, like, I know we all have talked about food in the past and demonized certain foods or talked about diets or connected over these certain things. Like, I'm just not here to talk about that anymore. Like I would really appreciate it if we could refrain from like talking about bodies and commenting on other people's bodies or even your own body. Um, like, I just don't want to connect with you about bodies at all. Like we are powerful, smart women. Like let's talk about anything other than weight loss. Like, let's just do that. Um, and so really like setting the stage for you to be successful, because I think so many of us are really anxious about 
our place and our worth. And so much of our worth can be tied to our body size and what that looks like. And oftentimes it's like the pursuit of being a certain body size that pulls us away from um, actually being in touch with ourselves. So there's like that piece of the work, which is definitely like not small. (laughs) And then it's really, really like, you know, like once you have set the stage of like feeling safe enough, like being like, okay, like what might be at risk and what am I worth risking to like be in more connection with my body and then taking baby steps of like listening on a daily basis of like, okay, I woke up today what sort of movement does my body want? If you have some sort of rule about movement that you need to move every day. Okay, cool. Let's look at that. And also like, maybe it doesn't mean that you need to go to a hit class. Maybe it means that like, you don't need to go like push yourself up like a mountain to make it like quote unquote count. Like if movement is something you want to do, how, like, depending on what your body wants, like, what if you took a walk, see how that feels you know, like that would be a really easy place to start, like honoring cravings, you know, like not restricting meals after, you know, a night out on the town, like waking up and having a full breakfast, because you know, that's like what your body needs and will help you not mess up your food later on in the day. You know, it's like really thinking about and honoring your body as you go, knowing that it's probably going to be pretty messy. I love that. And something you mentioned a little bit ago is fun. Where does fun come into all of this? Great question. Mm. (laughs) I mean, like, I think like like anything, like fun and hard, like this journey is both. Um, But I think there's something about when you let go of just constantly paying attention to how you look in situations like there's something called um what is it called oh now I'm gonna look silly oh well it's something oh self-objectification so that's something that we talk about a lot it's like you could be in a situation like I could be talking to you right now and instead of connecting to you all I'm thinking about is like, how am I showing up on Zoom right now? Do I look good? Mm-hmm. Like, what are they going to think about me? It's like, you're not even here. You're not experiencing the moment. You're just thinking about how you look in situations or like, where's the camera? And so the cool thing about when we actually start to find joy in other situations, other than just how our body looks, like you're so much more present. You can feel the situation. Like you can laugh without thinking about like, how do I look while I'm laughing? Like I'm going to sit down or like, I'm going to sit down and have this meal after like, let's say for me, like going skiing and I'm going to like drink the beer and like have French fries. And I'm going to like, not worry about what this means about my meal later. And instead, like just feel really connected and relaxed in my body instead of like thinking about my life like tomorrow morning and how I'm going to work it off. It just like feels so different. It also like gives you so many more opportunities to say yes, you know, because I feel like a lot of women, whether you have disordered eating or not, like we put ourselves on these schedules that are so unrealistic. And sometimes, and a lot of when it's all based around food and movement, like we lose a lot of spontaneity, we lose a lot of freedom. And so it's like sort of the freedom to be able to say yes yes to like the coffee date yes to the dinner yes to the like extra drink or whatever it is 
you know, it gives you a lot more freedom, which oftentimes means like more opportunities for fun. Yeah. It sounds like also the permission to prioritize fun and that playfulness is such an important part in coming back to wholeness within yourself so that you can show up and create the type of relationship you want with yourself, but also the type of relationship you want with the world around you. It's like often something that we, you know, like we have to earn as well. Like I have to earn having fun when actually life is better when we prioritize fun and then put all of our obligations and responsibilities, like mesh them together, maybe around it, depending on how our lives look. But at least in my own journey, prioritizing fun has been huge. Totally. And I think that that's like a a huge part of it is, is that our bodies are like, they will always tell us what we need. Like I was talking about hit classes earlier. I used to go to hit classes all the time. I, I don't think I will ever go back to a hit class. <laughs> if you see me at a hit class, or if you see me like on Instagram talking about hit classes, please stop I'll me. I'll call you up. Be like, what are you doing? <laughs> Get out of there. <laughs> Oh my God, this head class feels so good. I'm like, God, this is like, and it might for other people, but like, I, it's not my, it's, I was absolutely just tied to how many calories can I burn in a certain amount of time. And recently I've like graduated from like hiking and walking and skiing to being like, I want to do some sort of movement. I've tried lots of different things. I'm trying to find the thing that like feels good. And I've actually just like started doing bar classes and I like, it's so fun. I'm having the best time like squatting and like putting little balls between my legs and like (laughs) pretending like to do these moves. And it's been really freeing. And I know we've really been talking forever, but like you said something about like rejecting your feminine. For me, that was a huge part of my story too in the outdoor industry. It was like, how cool and bro-y can I be all the time? (laughs) And so the fact that I've been able to- So true though. Yeah. And like, I- have rejected my femininity for a really long time, even to the point of like being like, where do I feel sexy? Like, I don't even know. Like, what does that even mean? Like ski clothes. Yeah. And ski clothes. I feel like such a babe. Am I snowboarding jacket? I'm like, fuck yeah. I look awesome. (laughs) I feel so hot. (laughs) But it's been like, it's been really cool to like be, to go to this pretty hyper feminine place and just like, dance and move my body in this way that feels like playful but also sensual and like different and new and like I'm going because it helps me feel strong and I like have been enjoying sweating but it also just like feels so fun and so you know when I've been in those places where I'm like screw dieting it's the worst I can't imagine that I would have been and a place for me to like take a bar class but now I'm like so open to whatever like my body feels called to And that's the cool part where I do feel like really at a place of like peace where I'm not like on either extreme. It's just like truly listening to my body and like letting all of it be okay. Yeah. Thank you for that. Thank you for that share. What's what I'm noticing and like some to connect some dots is that the question is really important. The questions that we ask ourselves and like the process of unlearning as a pathway to growing our capacity to say yes, to lean in and to have fun. And something that I can share about a hit class, I went, um, I was like injured over the pandemic, which like brought me on my own body journey because I was injured. 
couldn't work out anymore. Like I couldn't even do yoga for over a year and a half. And that really, obviously my body started to change because of that. And um, it was really tough for me mentally to see those changes and really have to sit with um, accepting that and living in an area in Australia where everyone's always in bikinis. I live at the beach and everyone, like every other person's an influencer and I'm just like a normal looking person. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's been um, difficult for me, like the last, I guess, like two years to really sit with how my body's changed. But the reason why I bring that up is because I started going to a hit class and it was a heated one. So like a Bikram style <laughs> and it's already Australia. Like it's hot where I live. Like we don't really have winter. And it was like, I don't know how many degrees Fahrenheit, but like at least 27 degrees Celsius, which is like, I think low eighties in that room and like super hot and humid. And I remember I went for a couple months, a few, day, few days a week. And every time I left the class, I felt like complete shit. And everyone around me was like on this endorphin high that you get when you work out. And I'm like, well, my endorphins are broken because I don't feel any type of endorphin high. And I was just forcing myself to go because at the time, that was the only type of exercise that I could do given my injury. And there came a point where I just realized that I wasn't enjoying it. Like I was going because I felt obligated to go, but actually feeling like I'm suffocated in this heated room where I'm already doing cardio, which, you know, it's harder to breathe when you're doing cardio, like your cardiovascular health wasn't benefiting me. And um, I guess like connecting it back to what you're sharing is really giving yourself permission to be with your experience and just because everyone around you looks like they're having fun if it's not fun for you that's okay and that you don't have to do it you can find something else that is fun totally you know like it's just like there's a million different paths you could have taken if you don't like a hit class there's probably a million other classes you could take you know totally. it's like giving yourself permission to be like it's cool. Like, why am I putting so much pressure on this? Like one experience, like it's all good. Like, why can I just like practice radical acceptance and like radical openness and be like, great, this one isn't for me <laughs> and not and that's create okay. Story. Yeah. And that's okay. And yeah. not create a deep story or meaning about like why that makes us wrong when like, really like, cool. You just don't like that class. And like, yeah. that's okay. I think like we're really quick to make everything about us or like personalize it and like make it really big and sometimes we need to just be like that one wasn't for me <laughs> yeah and instead of maybe even like flipping the question like does this mean I'm doing it wrong how am I noticing this in my body like from why or what to how is so big in kind of that reconnection with yourself and there was the story that one of my meditation teachers um, shared. We were doing like mindful eating. And she said that she was in like a lecture hall and her professor was teaching about mindful eating and they all had to bring like some kind of food to class. And he took them through a process and that someone raised their hand that um, they were eating like a Tim Tam or something like an Australian, like a chocolate bar. And after going through this mindful eating process, this individual raised their hand and said, I've been eating Tim Tams for 30 years and I didn't realize I don't like the taste of it until right now. 
until they stop to actually consider how they are experiencing it, how they are noticing it in their body, in their system, in their taste buds, in their mouth. Did he realize that, oh, I actually don't like this and I've been forcing myself to eat it or telling myself cognitively that I enjoy it when actually that visceral experience was different? I think that's, I love that you are tying all of this to like having fun and like being able the freedom of choice to like change our minds. And, you know, like the way that I hear you putting this together is that like a lot of this is about freedom in a big, in a larger sense of like, oh, it turns out I don't like this. Just the final question then, where and when do you feel most like yourself? I feel the most like myself when I am, when I give myself space. Um, I think that I have been really good at overpacking my schedule and staying really busy and constantly working and pushing, which is a whole other podcast topic. (laughs) And I found that like, when I give my space, myself space to really have, um, the ability to explore. So like, if we're outside, like I can just like take one trail and go explore and like find inspiration and like be curious and like let myself just like be in the moment without like needing to be somewhere or like be like doing something. That's when I feel like I can actually like relax and I'm getting inspired by what's around me. And so for me, it's when I, I would say like when I'm outside, when I've given myself just the day to really explore my partner's there. I feel really safe with him my dog and like maybe we can go hiking and then maybe we can go out to eat that's like my perfect day (laughs) but really it's like being in the environment where I feel open to being inspired by the things that are around me you can learn more about Kristen and wilder wellness in the show notes below And if you loved what you heard today in this conversation, make sure to let us know. Maybe we'll be back to continue this conversation and expand on it. And if you know anyone else who would resonate with this episode, share it with at least three friends and be sure to leave a five-star written review on iTunes. We have a big goal of reaching and connecting one million women who have a desire to learn, grow, and live and lead from a place of alignment confidence, self-trust, authenticity, and inner peace. And by sharing this episode with friends or colleagues, you can help us reach this audacious goal. This is how generational change happens, one woman reclaiming her voice and her power at a time. That's it for this week. Cheers to your health, wealth, and happiness, and I'll catch you in the next episode. Remember, expansive education plus inspired action equals an impactful life. Go ahead and follow me on Instagram at expand and impact. Bye.